The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, my name is Hyde Ballion. I am a writer and a podcaster, and I'm with Mark Dreyer. He is the China Sports Insider, and this is the China Sports Insider Podcast. Eileen Gu is back in the States and back in the news. We're going to tell you why. And NBA Commissioner Adam Silver talks China. And then we are going to talk to Chris Fenton. He is a film producer in Los Angeles with lots of experience in China. But first, Mark, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, yeah, I was just uh, checking in Twitter uh, this morning. And uh, wow, what do you know? Eileen Gu at the Time conference over in the US and uh, dropping some big news there, uh, which we'll talk about in a moment. So that was uh, uh, perfect timing for the show. If there was no Eileen Gu, would we have to invent her, Mark? <laughs> I don't know. But um, you know, I think I might have mentioned this before, but, but from talking to a lot of journalists who covered the Olympics... Um, of all the stories around the Olympics, with the boycotts, with the torchbearer, with the um, you know the, the of course the sports as well, journalists said that the 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 reading rates on their Eileen Goo stories, uh, on the whole, far outdid anything else. So I mean, she is a a massively polarizing figure. She's also you know greatly loved by lots of people, but you know, lover or hater, everyone's got an opinion. Um, and I think we and do you know, as well. We, yeah, we noticed that too in, in our downloads. Whenever we had we talked about Eileen Gu, there was definitely a, a tick up in, in in our in our numbers. So here's why she's in the news. So she is going to work as an ambassador for the U.S. Winter Olympic bid for for uh, Salt Lake City. I guess it's they're they're bidding for another Winter Olympics in 2030. Uh, you had some thoughts on Twitter about this, Mark, and I think I should just let you expand on those. And I'm going to ask you some follow-ups after that. So your thoughts on this, I, I can't wait to hear them. Well, yeah. So Salt Lake City is, is looking to host a, another Winter Olympics, whether it's 2030, whether it's 2034, they're kind of uh, flexible at, at the moment. And, you know, it's usual that uh, there are ambassadors. So for example, when, when China was trying to uh, um, 
pitch for the the 2022 Olympics, it took to, uh, took two athletes to Kuala Lumpur to the IOC Commission, and they they took uh, uh, Yao Ming and they took Song Andong, who was a sort of a former ice hockey player at this point, but he had been drafted by the Islanders. Now, of course, these are Chinese athletes supporting the Chinese bid. You know, call them ambassadors, call them supporters, whatever you want. Um, it's just a little bit unusual that you have a Chinese athlete supporting a U.S. Olympic bid. Now, number of things here. Of course, Eileen Gu is, is, is American as well, and she spent most of her life in the States. She's not going to be the only ambassador. Um, I haven't seen that they've announced any others, but uh, you know, usually there's a, there's a bunch. David Beckham, for example, is an ambassador for the Qatar World Cup. Uh, make of that what you will. Um, so this is not a, a particularly unusual concept, but it does just feel a little bit tone deaf to me, given all the reaction that we saw from both sides coming out of the Olympics just a few months ago, that it's almost like she's kind of switching back to the US and she's like, now I'm all in on the US after being all in on China. Again, I don't want to hammer her too much. I'm like, she is factually, I've said this many, many times, she's factually American and Chinese. People say she has to choose, well, in herself, she, she can only represent one country. But I do think that, you know, she is now kind of veering dangerously into the having cake and eating it too territory just because she she seems to be sort of like all in China and all in US. It's just a bit too much. You know, like, like you know, <laughs> I feel like she's overcompensating for now that she's back in the US, the decision to switch to team China. And so she's doing this, but, but like these decisions have global ramifications. We're all watching from around the world. The China reaction is going to be fascinating here. How are the Chinese people going to think about this? Uh, and, and what are they going to be saying and when? So, so that is something that we haven't seen yet. As soon as I saw this news, I went to Twitter to see what kind of reaction there could be so far. Nothing on Twitter just yet. WeChat, Weibo, I'm sure these are the places that people are, should be monitoring right now to see what those reactions are going to be. And I think we're going to hear about it really, really soon. Now, should we look at this? Should we look at this as a sign that Goo might be going back to the U.S. team? I don't think so. I, I really can't see that she would ever switch to the U.S. Now, the, there's, there's, you know, there's a concept, there's a theory here. There's also some, some, some technicalities in terms of whether she would be allowed to, and that depends on the sport and, and, and the, uh, the, the sports governing body. So that's a sort of a separate question, whether or not she wants to flip back and forth. Now, as I said, she is, you know, American and Chinese. She's chosen to represent China, but I think... If she switches, she'd have to have a very, very good reason to do so. And uh, I, I don't see her uh, making moves like that at all. Like she's still deeply invested in China. She's basically just spent the last three months doing marketing campaigns and, and modeling uh, for, for Chinese brands over in China. She stayed in Beijing uh, long after the Olympics had, had left town. So uh, there's no indication, I think, that she's going to look to represent the US. But, but you're right. People are asking that question. And I guess just sort of thinking about this as well, I mean, it's not like China is bidding for another Olympics right now anyway, right? So if, 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 if China were competing with Salt Lake City for an Olympic Games, now that would be really a, you know, uh, that would be a nuclear bomb, right? But that's not happening. So maybe this is not a big deal. Like maybe, is it, you know, possibly this is just some ceremonial thing that she's doing for a favor for somebody. <sighs> yeah. 
I don't think it's kind of like a favor. She's pretty calculated. I, I think she just sees it a little bit differently. And again, she's entitled to to see it her way and, and to do what she wants to do. And and already on Twitter, there's people kind of criticizing both sides. And so stop criticizing her. You know, she's just a kid. And then there's other people sort of calling her a traitor and, and all of that as well. So again, you don't have to agree with my opinion, but it just feels a little like she's just trying a little bit too hard at this at this point to please everyone. And she sort of said, well, I don't have to please everyone. So, so like, <laughs> stop trying. You know, what, what, one person had commented and said, look, no one forgets, no one in the US forgets that she ditched the US to compete for China. And I think whether or not you support her, that that's, that's still a fact. You know, so if she felt so American, then why not compete for America and still say, I love China. I'm Chinese. I feel Chinese as well as American, but I'm still going to compete for America. So that is a conscious decision that she has made. She has to live with the consequences. Uh, we all know one of the reasons, of course, she became more marketable, more bankable uh, to the tune of uh, the estimations are upwards of 35 million US dollars per year. And we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago that that's probably gone way up after winning the medals. The other thing about Salt Lake City is if you're thinking of Olympic champions from Salt Lake City. Well, what about male figure skater Nathan Chen, who's actually from Salt Lake City? Um, I really hope that he's going to be added to the list of ambassadors if he hasn't already. Uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of June. They've already they've already announced this, um, but it certainly didn't get much attention if if they have. Uh, but yeah, the guy is from Salt Lake City. Why do you have to get Eileen Gu to like like? What is she going to do exactly for for the Salt Lake City bid? That someone well, like Nathan Chen or Michaela Schifrin, mm-hmm. you know, that they can't already do. I just I don't really get it. So it seems to be more about her than about Salt Lake City. Well, maybe they have some numbers that we don't have, Mark. You know, just just about her appeal to a lot of different people. Who knows? I I I, I really don't know. It's a great question, though. I mean, this is my question: is, is it just a ceremonial position, or is she there to? create some kind of, you know, real meaningful impact that's going to convince IOC members that Salt Lake City deserves another shot at hosting the games. I, I, you know, I I don't know. So Fraser Bullock, the president and CEO of the Salt Lake City, Utah committee for the games um, said this, he said, having somebody with Eileen's fantastic profile worldwide, particularly with the youth is just a dream come true for us. Now he's not wrong. Um, you know, she does have she does have a, 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 a huge following, rightly so. She's a phenomenal athlete, and and you know, often that gets sort of for, forgotten in the conversation about with everything else. Um, but there are plenty of others, and I just think that she has become almost a bit too polarizing at this point. Uh, maybe further mm-hmm. down the line, when when it's sort of eased off, it just seems a little bit tone deaf. Again, she can do what she wants. Salt Lake City can do what they want, but that's my read, and, and I, I feel people. Some people in China were kind of getting a little bit tired of her. I'm so Chinese when actually she was kind of like, well, no, you're basically a California, you know, teen. Uh, and people in the U.S., as, as mentioned, have sort of like, well, yes, you're great, but you've actively chosen to 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 move away from the U.S. and compete for another country. So I don't think – anyway, let's see. Let's yeah, see. You, but the, you know, totally. Yeah, let's see. But I mean, one thing you said earlier, Mark, was that, you know, somebody said to you, Americans don't forget, you know, they, they will not forget. I bet you most Americans have already forgotten. You know, they just they don't really care that much. I mean, it's a it's a winter sport, you know, comes along once every four years. They'll watch it on NBC when it's there. And afterwards, come on. Here's the remarkable thing about Eileen Gu, though. Um, almost from the 
point that we started to well not quite actually we were we were kind of covering on the show well before she kind of got into into the mainstream we but were, yeah. she is so triggering to to so many people you know that i i think that's mm. that's just a fact for, from kind of if i if i sort of remove myself from the conversation just observing the whole situation you talk to people and they get so het up one way or the other uh either defending her vehemently or attacking her and, and again you know, I, I, I'm trying to be kind of balanced and also try to try to call it as I see, as I see the situation, but also how as I see mm-hmm. sort of other people reacting to the situation and, and how it might play out in the future. But yeah, this is, like I said, the, the column inches devoted to Eileen Gu and, and the, the clicks that Eileen Gu receives, it's just a perfect storm. We've mentioned this before. It's sports, it's business, it's politics, just... At, all turned up to the max, which is, you know, it, it, it gives us something to talk about, if nothing else. Really, the only conclusion we can come to is Eileen Gu should come on this show <laughs> and talk to us. And, and I think, so she's, Eileen, a little, you are I think she's a little busy. Uh, it, I'm working on it, but it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of, uh, I'll be honest, it's a bit of a long shot just at the moment. Um, there was a chance that I, I almost got to interview her when she was still in Beijing. Unfortunately, that didn't quite uh, work out, and uh, and she's back in the states right now. But uh, yeah, perhaps uh, when things quieten down between these four year Olympic cycles, then uh, there'll be a, a little bit more time, perhaps. What's the What's the first question you'd ask her? <laughs> Long pause, thoughtful. Ah, that's such a difficult question just because, well, how long have you got, right? If you've got five minutes. Let me rephrase that then in that case, because you're absolutely right. What do you think is the money question? Like, what is that one question that you would ask? What, what, what would that be? You know, it's, it's a really interesting question. And just thinking off the top of my head, the first thing that pops into my head is what we're seeing in the world of golf this week with all these people on, on the new, you know, um, L1V or live, however they're calling it, you know, the 54 uh, Saudi golf tour, Dustin Johnson, apparently getting $150 million. And lots of people saying, lots of people attacking him, lots of people saying, well, who wouldn't play golf for $150 million if you were offered it? Um, you know, I, I think the question I would say, say is in everyone's calculation, again, whether or not Arlen Gu would, would answer this question is, is, is another one. But the question, I think, for everyone's calculus, when you make a decision, it's lots of different pieces. There's sporting, there's, there's politics, there's, there's business, there's, there's social change. She's talked about trying to inspire a whole generation of people. But, of course, the finance can't be ignored. She's obviously embraced the finance uh, to the point where she spends uh, a huge amount of her time doing modeling and, 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 and pitching for brands. Now, yes, I think that she probably enjoys doing that. Uh, she's, she's, she seems to very much embrace that role, but it's not like she's doing it for free. So I would ask her, you know, how, would she, how, how much of the, the dollars and cents is in the equation for her? You know, it, it can't be zero. She might say that it's, well, it's all about inspiring the, the, the kids and it's all about, I just love these clothes because they're, they're, they're pretty and beautiful and I, and I, I would buy them if, if they weren't paying me to, to model them. But you know how much of how much of finance comes into her equation when she's thinking about herself, when she's thinking about her future, her future business career. She's obviously very, very motivated and forward thinking. Um, so I think that that there's clearly a plan there for the future. Well, that would be a fascinating interview. I'd, I would love to hear it, and hopefully you can you can do it sometime in the next few years, Mark. That would be something to behold. I think, Mark. Let's move on to our next story. 
at his customary pre-NBA Finals press conference, NBA Commissioner Adam Silver talked a lot about China. A lot of people will remember this because we've talked about it a lot, um, that the NBA was off Chinese TV until March because the powers that be wanted a stronger response from Silver to the Daryl Morey tweet from 2019. Now, uh, Silver said a couple of interesting things at his press conference. He said that the NBA lost hundreds of millions of dollars because of, you know, not being on TV and that um, exporting what he calls Americana to China is a net positive. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think? I've always liked Adam Silver, I'll be honest. I, I think he's one of the best commissioners out there and, and sports commissioners generally get a, a, a pretty bad rap, I would say. But when he came out defending, as he thought, Daryl Morey, for just having the ability to tweet what he wanted to, to tweet in October 2019, he was kind of crucified on both sides. And it became clear at that point that there was no middle ground. And so, you know... Having said that, he's now trying to occupy this middle ground. Uh, I think he does a reasonable job here with 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 the comments, and we can link to it uh, in the, in the show notes. But he's he's basically sort of saying that look, you know, I think engagement is positive, particularly through sports. Using sports as a platform to keep people around the world talking is critically important. I also don't think it's inconsistent with our values for games to be aired in China and two hundred plus uh, other countries in the world. Um, he says, you know, they, they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars because of the blackout. Uh, he, he again reiterated that the, that the league stands behind its players and executives and their rights to free speech. Um, and he said, you know, uh, that, that China, uh, a lot of people, um, particularly U.S. politicians who are critical of the NBA's business relationship with China, tend to single out the NBA. And he said, look, from a policy standpoint, virtually every Fortune 100 company is doing business in China. We have an enormous, humongous trade relationship with China. Virtually all the phones in this room, he told the people, the clothes you're wearing, the shoes you're wearing, they're made in China. From a larger societal standpoint, this is something where we have to look to the U.S. government for direction. Now, his critics are going to say that's a total cop-out. But I, I, I have a lot of sympathies with him. You know, what's he supposed to do? I, I do believe, I, I do agree with him when, it, when he says... I mean, we have to be engaging through sports. If we can't engage through sports, then they're like, what's left? You know, and, and we were we we're very vocal that, that um, we didn't want the Olympics to be canceled. We didn't want athletic boycotts and, and the, these sort of diplomatic boycotts were, were a bit um, meaningless, effectively meaningless when it came to the Olympics. Like sports can still be a power for good. And I do think he's right when he says the NBA uh, gets unfairly uh, singled out uh, and criticized. And this is something that, that we go into a lot um, with Chris Fenton on the show. And I, and I think it would be really interesting for, say, yeah. for people to, 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 to hear Chris's thoughts as well on this. Um, but I think, look, if, if we give up on, on sports exchanges, then, then we're just giving up on, on global diplomacy basically entirely. So I understand why people are critical of the NBA, but I do think that they are sort of hitching their agenda to the NBA NBA because it's because it's more visible. It resonates with more people uh, than it does with with some of these other companies. And I think that's 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 yeah. For, from Silver's point of view, I think he's right to to sort of point that out and say, well, you know, why why are we the only ones getting attacked? Because you know, it's because it's you know because you can talk about LeBron James and you can talk about 
you know, all these NBA stars and it resonates more, but, but you're basically using the NBA to make a separate political point. Um, so I think Silva is doing the only thing that he can do and he's kicking it back to government and say, look, if we're fully out, if you're shutting down relations between the US and China, then you tell us, you tell us uh, that we're not allowed to do business with China. Um, but otherwise, like, you know, I, I, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's, he's arguing in my mind, a defensible position. Not everyone will agree with that, but, but I think he's doing pretty well. It's hard, right? I mean, I understand the philosophy of engagement. I, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for sure. It just sometimes seems really empty to me without, you know, it's, it's not like it's making any sort of changes here. Things, you know, ever since the NBA has been here, it's not like, you know, uh, there's been an openness in, in China. Things have actually gone the other way. That argument just seems kind of hollow to me. No, I, t- I totally get that. And, and, and there are times when I feel conflicted. I think a, a lot of people, including the companies, you know, the companies aren't necessarily at the forefront of change, um, but they are constantly reevaluating. You know, this is an ongoing conversation, an ongoing global conversation. Uh, and that's partly why it's so fascinating. But things do change over time, but they don't often dramatically change overnight. And so it does, you know, uh, even just little shifts here and there can be significant. It's, uh, it's, it's something we'll, we'll, I think, probably continue to come back to here on the show. But Let's get to uh, let's get to Chris. Mark, we're talking to Chris Fenton this week. Uh, who who is Chris Fenton? Well, Chris currently is a Hollywood executive, and he's worked in the movie industries for a long time. And wrote a book called Feeding the Dragon, where he really uh, looks at how um, you know both uh, both Hollywood uh, primarily, but also other organizations such as the NBA have you know as, as he lays out in, his, uh, in in the book in his arguments, sort of pandering to China and how he feels. Uh, there's a need to, to, to redress the balance uh, and, and have more of a level playing field between the U.S. and China. But I think, you know, a, a lot of countries are also um, looking, of course, at the, the two biggest economies in the world. But I think this applies to a lot of other countries around the world in the way that we're seeing dealings with China kind of transition, I think, from, from what they have been over the last few decades to, to, to potentially a new future. We had a very long-ranging discussion, and he joined us from Los Angeles. All right, Chris Fenton, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're really, uh, really excited to talk to you. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. I've been a big fan from afar, so it's nice to be- see you both in person, and, uh, uh, or at least virtually, and, and, and talk to both of you. So, Chris, you mentioned Hollywood. Obviously, you know, where the, you're still working, in, and we're seeing a little bit with, with Top Gun and, and the whole thing about the the Taiwan flag on the jacket, which was apparently removed and then put back in. And, and, and of course, everyone knows that's going to probably, you know, scupper any kind of China release, but that's a decision that's been made. So, so is, is that a one-off? Is Hollywood turning the corner? And, and, and also, you know, where are we when it comes to sports? You know, is, 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 is sports and Hollywood perhaps diverging? Or do you see any kind of uh, changing of opinion back in the US, given that the NBA's issue has become, you know, so polarizing, I guess, globally? Well, I think, uh, well, number one is I think the the cultural and commercial exchange needs to continue between the two superpowers. I'm not arguing for a Cold War or a war. That's the glue that's going to keep us from fighting each other. And that's something the whole world does not want to have happen. Okay. If you look at where the imbalances occurred, and we apply it to, to sports and, and entertainment, 
we are starting to see a pushback to try to rebalance it, right? That that encroachment of censorship, propaganda, the push of narrative, the push of 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 quieting free speech rights, all that kind of stuff. It's gone too far and we're starting to see pushback. And the reason we're seeing pushback, and I'm going to take it right into where you spend most of your time, Mark, which is sports, right? The greatest case study I think that has occurred recently is Peng Shui and the terrible disappearance or or taking away of her freedoms because she came out um you know against a, a chinese communist party official who was very senior um her disappearance or the where is peng shui controversy got very inflamed and it got very vocal and it got a lot like the nba but what was interesting is that players in the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, started to take a stand. That's something that didn't happen with the NBA. You didn't see NBA players take a stand. I mean, you see Enos Cantor and a handful that some, you know, do it from time to time. But around that Daryl Morey tweet, you didn't see LeBron James or somebody say, we need to do something about this. But you saw it with the WTA. And the WTA, whether, you know, Mother Teresa's and just wanted to do the right thing or whether the sheer momentum of them having no choice but to do the right thing caused them to do the right thing. And I don't care what the motivation was. They did the right thing. And what's interesting about that is they lost events and they lost essentially the China backing of different sponsors on the ground over there. But they took a brand that was 1X and a brand that I never even thought of in my daily existence, nor did a lot of people. And they tripled the brand awareness around the world. And because of that, sponsors have come in, events have come in, and they're making money off of taking the right stand, off of the Muhammad Ali effect of doing what they thought was right, short-term hit, long-term gain. And I think a lot of other businesses saw what happened there and are starting to think, well, what if we do the same? And I'll take it to the next step, which was Sony and then their last, uh, last huge hit, which was the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movie. They were asked or pushed by the Chinese Communist Party to remove the Statue of Liberty in the third act of that movie. Now, if you've seen that movie, that's a hard thing to move. But yeah. to ask an American, an American filmmakers to remove the Statue of Liberty from a film, that's sort of pushing it, right? And guess what? They didn't. And guess what happened? That movie did incredible business and it never even touched the Chinese market. And that then played into what we saw with Top Gun, where I believe, and I don't know the exact story, but I'm, I'm looking at what probably happened, which was Tom Cruise seeing all the flap that occurred because Tom Cruise really calls the shots on Tom Cruise movies. He probably saw all the flack that was coming out in 2019 about that trailer with no Japanese flag, no Taiwanese flag. And he said, you know what? I don't want to be on the wrong side of history here. I'm going to do what I think is right. And I can handle that because I'm a big star with a lot of leverage. And guess what? They're at $300 million worldwide already and it hasn't even been in theaters for a week and there's no china market involved so we're starting to see that you can do the right thing and mix it with successful capitalism 
Hey, I just want to push back a little bit on what you were saying about the WTA and I guess what you both were saying about the WTA because, you know, of course, right now, I mean, they're saying the right things. They're, they're doing the right things right now. But of course, they couldn't have tournaments here anyway. It's COVID times. Nobody's having international tournaments. So, I mean, really, I'm wondering what's going to happen in the post-COVID world. There, yes, the WTA is has a new title sponsor. They have these smaller tournaments around the world with Okay, great crowds, but they're not making anywhere near the type of money, and the players aren't making anywhere near the type of money uh, that they would have been had they been playing in China. Now, what's going to happen once the borders are open? And, and is there sort of a room there for the WTA to make a comeback without a resolution to, uh, to uh, Peng Shui? I mean, this is, this is the question that I have. I mean, there's really no way to know that right now, but this is what to look at, I think. Well, I'll give a layman's answer to that, and then Mark should give the expert answer because he knows sports better <laughs> than I do. But I, all, I don't know. I, I think the WTA did a great job of, of doing the right thing. I do think there was a lot of momentum on them where they almost had no choice. Um, but remember, go back to when that decision was made, and Mark is going to know the specifics way better than me. But it looked like the Olympics were going to happen and they actually did, right? It looked like opening was the reopening was happening. There was no COVID problem um, that was building. It looked like the COVID problem was all abating at the time. And then on top of it, you look at the prize money that was at stake with events that were potentially going to happen after the Olympics in 2022. No one knew that this COVID lockdown was coming. Um, it looked like a huge sacrifice. I mean, there was a huge potential sacrifice that they ultimately did. And I, I actually don't think they're going to be able to go back there and keep the brand identity and excitement around this new, way bigger brand than it was before um, by going back to China without some sort of resolution on the Peng Shui incident. And, and uh, maybe they'll manufacture one that, that, PR-wise, looks like it's been solved in order to do that. I don't know. But chances are that's not going to go away easily for them. Yeah, I, I just can't right now see what that resolution looks like because they're not going to get an investigation, right? They're just, it's just not going to happen from a China perspective. And if there is one, it, no one's going to accept it outside of China or probably even within China. You know, So... so they're going to have to, as you said, manufacture something from PR, but then they're going to catch so much flack for then, you know, kowtowing and all the sort of stuff that we saw with the NBA criticism. The NBA genuinely thought they were standing up to China. And I think, you know, Adam Silver, rightly or wrongly, but he personally think, thought that he was really, you know, standing up for free speech. And then he realized, wow, like he's getting absolutely slaughtered from the US side. So the WTA could undo a lot of that damage there. Um yeah, you know, I, I hope for the sake of tennis and for the sake of the sport and for the sake of, as, as we've discussed, cultural exchanges, they, are, they do come to some kind of compromise. I'd say a couple of other things. Um, one, I don't think the financial repercussions are quite as bad. You know, they're playing in Guadalajara instead of Shenzhen. Yeah, it's not as much, but like, I don't think the players' pockets, they're not really beginning to feel it um, yet. That um, I don't really, you know, I don't think there's, there's like a huge, a huge, um, you know, for example, we've seen a lot more pushback from the fact that uh, Wimbledon has has dropped ranking points for this year. The players seem to be a lot more upset about that than a slightly smaller purse next week versus what, what they had um, a year ago. And I think 
the other interesting thing to watch is with the rise of this new wave of, of female Chinese players, you know, we've got um, not just, not just um, Zheng Qinwen, who, of course, uh, went to the uh, last 16 in the French, but there's a couple of other uh, 20-year-olds, both called Wang Xinyu and Wang Xiyu. It's, it's kind of confusing, but they're both very promising players. They've been tipped for the top for a long time. As those players start to get into the top 50, maybe even the top 20, and I do believe that, that some of them will get there. You know, they, the barrier has already been broken with, with, with Li Na. Um, then the calls are going to be, you know, well, they want to be playing in home tournaments. They can't be playing in these, you know, third-tier tournaments when they're top players. And so there is going to be a big push um, for, 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 for them to be able to play at home, as we're seeing, you know, with, with Joe Guan Yu, the Formula One uh, driver who's from Shanghai yet can't race in his, in his home Grand Prix. Um, you know, the final thing I would say, and, and Chris, kind of a question for you on this. I was sort of thinking, well, look, the WTA has taken a firm stance and they're sticking to it. So this is putting a lot of pressure on the ATP. And so if the ATP can't come back, does that mean, does that encroach into other sports? The flip side is, you know, look at golf, right? Right now we have this big thing in the world of golf where they're all basically just throwing principles to the wind and taking a lot of Saudi money while saying the Saudis are a joke, you know, from <laughs> the side of one mouth and then taking the millions on the other side. So for, for, all the, for all the discussion about what we'd like to see people do and the stance we'd like to take people, uh, we'd like to see uh, people make, when it comes to the money, you know, are people always going to be swayed? Money is what makes people make decisions. And I think the beauty of WTA and Spider-Man and Top Gun is it shows that you can actually make money doing the right thing. The amount of Twitter and DMs and tweets of, or texts I've gotten from people that said, I was never going to go see Top Gun, but now that they did this for Taiwan, I got to go see it. Like, I don't know what those numbers add up to. But it's it's significant. I mean, it, they really won over a lot of support with that movie because of the stance they took. I think the ATP is going to be the first frog to jump into the boiling water, right? Like if if the ATP boils around the world because of playing in China, the WTA's decision has been made, right? If the ATP can go in there and you know, no one really talks about it, then, you know, then the WTA is going to wonder whether they should, you know, they're capable of doing the same thing without throwback. I think my, my biggest point is that I don't want, I don't want people to feel like I'm pressuring studios or celebrities to do the right thing and sacrifice everything to do it. My point is, is that the risk reward calculus of China, in particular for the studios, just doesn't warrant putting up with what we were doing five years ago. The, the payoff was huge, and you could argue capitalism and the drive to create revenues and profits by C-suites and filmmakers and actors, like that's part of the job, that's part of the role, and you sort of did it because everybody's pressuring you to go that direction. But now the risk reward calculus is way more murky and the hoops you got to jump through are way more aggravating, way more frustrating. And quite frankly, they might not be successful. I mean, look at Marvel with Shang-Chi um, to, you know, Chloe Zhao on the Eternals to, 
you know, what they tried to do with Mulan at Disney, none of that worked, right? And on top of it, they made, you know, problems for themselves in other markets. So I think for studios, it's a little more clear that, hey, doing the right thing might pay off around the world and doing the wrong thing might not get you anything out of China. Now, sports is going to be a little different because China tends to promote the idea of competitiveness and, and, and sportsmanship and all that kind of stuff. It's why they love to have the Olympics there twice. It's a very powerful force there and the money might be so big that it's hard to turn down. But I do think there's also, I mean, I have said it publicly. I think LeBron James, who's worth a billion dollars right now, if he took a Muhammad, if he took a Muhammad Ali stance on behalf of values and principles that we take you know, we hold dearly here in the West and free speech rights and, and human rights and all the big stuff that people want him to take a stand on. I feel like he would build his brand way bigger than it is today. He would lose China, but he would make up for it in the rest of the world. And instead of being worth a billion, he could be worth three billion. Right. And and I think somebody's going to have to take that plunge. And, you know, it's going to be somebody, it's got to be somebody with real leverage. And if you look at Top Gun, that was really Tom Cruise on the line. I have a hard time believing that Tom Cruise is going to get movies into that, that market again anytime soon. Um, we've seen that type of throwback and blackballing many times in the past, whether it's Brad Pitt or Richard Gere or Martin Scorsese or Disney or Sony for remaking the, you know, Red Dawn, et cetera. Chris, this has been a, a really fascinating discussion. I do want to ask you about one thing before you let you go. There are a couple of articles recently, sort of longer form pieces from ESPN about the NBA in China um, by the, the, you know, the Finaru brothers who, uh, if people don't know, you know, legends of sort of, of sporting uh, investigative journalism uh, who, who um, basically broke the Balco steroid scandal from, from way back. Um, and I spoke to spoke to one of them a couple of times just over the years, and and uh, you know, big fans of their work. I wanted to ask what you made of of the pieces that they had, which which you know, in a very brief overview, was sort of sort of saying, you know, this is this is uh, Joe Sai, and he's you know the Nets owner, but he's Alibaba, so he's kind of compromised to some large extent because of his ties in China. And then there was a follow up piece that that then sort of looked at all the the owners and all that their investments in China. For me, my first reaction was kind of like, well, I wasn't quite sure what the point ultimately they were getting at there because it's like, well, if you take any group of 30 billionaires, you know, of course they're going to have some investments in China. I think actually the numbers to me felt low. If you look at Joe Tsai's stake in Alibaba and, you know, it's 11%, I believe, in the market cap of Alibaba, I think it was bigger than, than what they were saying uh, in terms of the billions collectively that were investing. But like it, it sort of felt that the implication there was like, well, we can't have any kind of investments in China because of all the stuff that's going on. Um, I don't know. What did you make of you know? We'll, we'll link we'll link to these things in in, uh, in 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 the show. But but what did you make of of uh, of that series? Those, those pieces. Yeah, well, I I'm a fan of Marx and I know him, and I was I was quoted in the Joe Sai article a couple times. Um, and then uh, he told me about the other piece he was working on, which which he kept under um, uh, under cloak and dagger because I, I, it, there was some really interesting investigative reporting done there. Um, I a few things came to mind. Number one is 
I have to commend Disney and ESPN for even publishing those uh, articles. I was blown away uh, last summer when they also allowed or published those articles about uh, Xinjiang that that Mark um, had in the NBA training camps. I thought um, that was really aggressive journalism that you don't see all that much. And when you think of how much at stake both ESPN and Disney I mean, ESPN because the NBA and, and Disney because they own ESPN and they own so much of, of an interest in what they're trying to accomplish in China. I thought it was really gutsy for them to publish those articles. Um, I thought number two was the amount of attention that I saw um, happen after those articles were published, I thought was a little mind boggling to me. Um, I didn't see a lot of traction for either of those articles, nor the ones last summer. You know, there's a part of me, if I put my tinfoil hat on that, that thinks they were purposely throttled out there. You know, it, it seemed like the push to make sure people saw those pieces wasn't quite that strong. But once again, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. It may very well be that people just simply don't care. You know, they don't. Okay, great. Like, like you said, I mean, those, you know, you get a lot of billionaires together. Of course, they're making money in all parts of the world. And, you know, to put that together, I did think the numbers were low. I think the numbers that they report on that the NBA took a hit on when it comes to China are low, too. I think the numbers are way bigger. Um, there's a lot more at stake for every individual player those television contracts, the sponsorships, the partnerships, the consumer products they sell over there, uh, those numbers are massive. And and the push that the NBA put, I mean, I know because we were involved with the, those are incarnations of the NBA executives that were there um, back during my tenure. And that push, that drive to build business in China was huge because that was really where their growth was going. So that was fast. It's fascinating just to see how that sort of mitigated maybe, maybe to make sure that the PR narrative keeps things under control a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I, they didn't have, they didn't have a sort of a, a huge amount of traction. And I, if, you know, I, I, I'd probably agree with, with when you said maybe people are just, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, it's it's long form reading people's attention span. It's kind of depressing, you know that that that. But that is unfortunately with with everyone's goldfish, you know, attention spans. You know, the headline perhaps wasn't necessarily new. There wasn't sort of a big reveal, um, perhaps. Um, and and actually going back, you mentioned the uh, the the Xinjiang one. I think you know my takeaway from that was that they probably went into it looking for a story about NBA has shut this down because they're getting heat over Xinjiang and, and the, the human rights abuses that, that have been reported there. Whereas, in fact, it sort of turned into a... Actually, the camp itself is being horrendously mismanaged and there's kind of abusive players <laughs> within the camp, but it wasn't really connected with the Xinjiang thing. I thought it was a great story, but possibly not the one that, that they were expecting to get, which is good. You know, you, you don't want this preset narrative. But, uh, you know, that's, that's probably another question. But if you go back to, and just the interest level, right? Because I, I'm, I'm constantly like I think the China, cha the 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 challenge China poses on the United States and the West is, I think, the biggest challenge that we need to solve. Like, and once again, this is not about going to war with them and 
you know, overcoming communism and making it a democracy and overthrowing the government. Like, no, that is that is not what we're supposed to be doing here. But we do have a challenge and it is massive and it affects everybody in the United States of America. And the question is how you get, you know, the enough political wherewithal to, to build, you know, essentially a strategy that the country backs when it comes to China, when no one really seems to grasp, you know, the slow moving train wreck that's occurring by staying on the status quo. Chris Fenton, thank you so, so much for joining us. Chris is the author of Feeding the Dragon. He's a film producer and he joined us from Los Angeles. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for both of you and what you're doing out there. It's fantastic. You're bringing a lot of great attention to some some amazing issues that need um, more people to know about. And on top of it, I think um, your podcasts and your newsletters are very entertaining and engaging to read, too. Great. Thank you, Chris. Really enjoyed it. Great to uh, Great to chat. Thank you to Chris Fenton, and thank you for listening. You can find all of our shows at subchina.com slash podcasts, or better yet, consider following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back soon.